there. Welcome to Frankenstein's Repair Shop from UK Games Expo. A little something we did on the Saturday of Games Expo with a, uh, a live audience. Um, four of us got together. Myself, Dirk the Dice, Paul Fricker, uh, Steve Ray, collectively all Anthrex's Gaming Vexes, the good friends of Jackson Elias, the Grognard Files, and of course, Frankenstein's RPG. And we decided to try and see whether there was a game that really ought to be brought back from the dead. Clearly, Dragomoria should have won, but, you know, I won't spoil it. Enjoy the show. So welcome, everybody, to the RPG Repair Shop. (laughs) Totally spontaneous. Uh, So we're going to look at games from the past that with a little bit of love could be restored to life. Uh, So like Jay Blades on the TV show, as played by... Uh, Dirk the Dice here. We'll be asking uh, so-called experts, that's the four of us, so-called doing an awful lot of lifting in that sentence, uh, exponents of the RPG craft to lovingly add a bit of tender love and care and bring sparkle back to an unloved game locked in the attic. Get your hankies out, it may get emotional, or just wave them in surrender and we'll let you leave. So, our so-called experts are ready with their brushes, fresh stuffing, fresh stuffing, and needles. Sorry, this is taking a rather dark turn. Uh, needles to prod, poke, and pep up a product from the past. So we'll let them all introduce themselves. So I'm Steve. I'm one of the hosts of All Anthrex's Gaming Vexes podcast, which chronicles our ongoing efforts to play and run all the games that I buy in hard copy on my shelves. And essentially, I've got enough episodes there to keep me going from now, I think, to eternity. But I think, actually, quite a lot of people in the room here have actually been on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, guys. Hello, I'm Dirk the Dice, and I host The Grognard Files, which is about uh, games from today. And uh, I've got it the wrong way around, and that back in the day and today. See, I'm I'm starting to become a new guy. You've been doing it for eight years. Yeah, and I suppose my specialism in this is reviving old modules and playing them at uh, conventions. David Patterson, host of the uh, Frankenstein's RPG podcast. Amazingly, we made it to three series, and uh, we've at various times taken part, uh, taken games apart, and sort of tried to fit them back together in a slightly better order. Which is rather a pointless podcast, I do admit, but there we are. So at the moment, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make a a, uh, a campaign for the liminal RPG. And I'm not on any kind of kickback from Paul Michener to sell more liminal, unless I get to 100,000 copies, in which case I make a small amount of money. So, Frankenstein's RPG podcast. Hello, I'm Paul Fricker, one of the hosts of the Good Friends of Jackson Elias podcast, uh, alongside Matthew Sanderson and Scott Dorwood. And within about a week... It's going to be 10 years of the good friends of Jackson Alliance. And, uh, and the way we introduce it is, I'm going to get this wrong now probably as well, is, uh, hello, welcome to the good friends of Jackson Alliance. I have to go through it all now. I'm Scott Dord, I'm Matt Sanderson. It's a personality problem you got there. Yeah. And, uh, so it's about uh, Call of Cthulhu, horror films and horror gaming in general. And I think we said that on the first episode. And then it's kind of stuck. And then we just say exactly the same thing every time. People think we just like got that clip and we reuse it. We don't. We just say the same thing every time. And I think on the repair shop, my role is perhaps, uh, you know, I think with, with 7th edition Call of Cthulhu that myself and Mike developed, it was like we, we took an old car and we, we opened up the bonnet and we fiddled around inside and, and did all that stuff that in real life I've no idea about, like actual mechanics. <laughs> 
and, and, and tuned it up. I think that's what the, the mechanics say. Tuned it up to make it run better. And then we put the lid back on. So it should look, you know, and we put, gave it a polish as well. But it looks like the same vintage vehicle, but it just runs nicer now. So that's, 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 that's my role on the, the repair shop. So before we put anything on the workbench, we're going to ask ourselves a question. Why have role-playing games had such an enduring appeal? And I don't know if you know, but 50 years to this day, we've got this up there from my games letter, produced on the June the 1st in 1973, and it says this. Are you ready? Miscellany. Alistair McIntyre sends the following news items. Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson are compiling an extensive set of rules for fantasy campaigns. Gary is very interested in collecting more fantasy gamers. Contact him at 330 Centre Street, Lake Geneva, WI5. I, I don't think, he, I think it's expired now. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't your waste of stamp. So 50 years this month, according to the game historian John Peterson, it's the first twinkle in the eye of Dungeons and Dragons. A few months later, D&D was uh, published and uh, 50 years, 50 years, and we're all still here. We're still playing it. It's outseen, Cabbage Patch, those little clacker things, Tamagotchis, Noel's House Party, Cabbage Patch, it's outlasted Teddy Ruxpin, everything. (laughs) But why has it endured? Why has it lasted? So despite all the ups and downs it's experienced along the way, why do we keep playing role-playing games? So what do you think, uh, Dave? What's your what's your theory? Well, I, I could sort of quote one of the other panel in uh, in a recent um, news item, which apparently uh, wasn't about role-playing games at all. It was about swingers' parties. <laughs> uh, if anybody saw the article in The Guardian recently about, you know, uh, why do you st- how difficult it is to make friends in later life. And I think the one way that you actually get around that is to have pampas grass, obviously, in your front lawn, and then some sort of, you know, literal swing in the back garden. And, uh, you know, We're trying big to keep the audience here, Dave. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> As you do leave, keys in the cold goldfish bowl. So, so I think, but, 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 all joking aside, I think there is actually a big part of that is, and, and, and I thought it was a very well uh, sort of researched and written article, uh, even if it did sort of end up with the swinging bit being sort of to the forefront. It is incredibly difficult to make friends and socialise more with a wider group of people the older you get. And the one thing that I have found about role-playing games is, if you've sort of been adjacent to the hobby or you actually get back into the hobby, it's been a fantastic way to make friends with with people doing something that is rather an odd kind of exercise, but actually becomes very participative and, and gets everybody back into it. So there's a lot of people in this room whom I would say are very good friends, so I would, I would say one of those things is very definitely the social aspect. So why do role-playing games carry on? Something that you go away from a table most of the time, remembering something that's happened, and you, you're drawn into this sort of uh, epic storytelling type thing. I could be a little bit pseudo-intellectual and say it's replaced the bonfire or the, the campfire and telling tales around the campfire, replace that with, you know, VTT and a computer screen. But, you know, that's kind of the idea, I think. So setting a bonfire on your kitchen table what, is know, the way to go. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think, Paul? 
Well, to start with, I'm a bit stressed that you said Noel's house party is a thing of the past. Lives <laughs> <laughs> on in my house, but no. Um, well, all I think the, all those tattoos. Eh? If Twenty years ago, and, and I'm sure some of you can remember twenty years ago, <laughs> seminars at Dragon Meet about the pretty. I don't think this was the title of them, but this was pretty much the premise: the death of role playing games. Is it all dying out? And is it all fizzling away? Because it, you know, it it did feel a bit that way, which is hard to. Conceive now, because now it's like, the, you know, those, those seminars are the things that died out. Um, and then 10 years ago, we saw a, a massive change, I think, with, uh, you know, with, with uh, the new edition of D&D. And when I was working on the new edition of Call of Cthulhu, I can remember one of the things I did was listen to actual play. There was Skype of Cthulhu. That was about, there was one show. There was maybe like one or two others, but there, there really wasn't very much. Now, there's, I mean, there's you guys. There's, there's a whole range of uh, actual play shows and podcasts. So as a, as a role player, time was, you know, you could have your lonely fun reading your rule book or, you know, you only had in-person gaming. So you'd only do it occasionally or you'd be writing scenarios or planning it or thinking about it or whatever. But that was kind of in your head or, or on paper. Now you've got, the whole thing of being able to, to live it vicariously through, you know, contact with it almost, you could pretty much do it 24 hours a day through podcasts and actual play mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. online experience, whether it be videos or playing online with people around the world. So it's just, I think the whole hobby has, has transformed really into something that, that, that has become much more a part, part of people's lives. And certainly at the Milton Keynes Role Playing Game Club, you know, I had people turn, I can remember somebody turning up, said, what have you played before? No, not played anything before. I said, well, do you, do you, have you got a friend who plays? No, I don't know anyone who plays. They've just seen Critical Role. So it's like, well, whereas to us, you know, anybody who comes along and wanted to play role playing games back in the day, well, it's because their mate had introduced them. Nobody found it of their own devices, I don't think. It was always, you know, word of mouth. Whereas now, so... So I think, as far as I can see, over the last 10 years, the, growth, the, the, the hobby has like ballooned, I think, which is great. Yeah. So, so. so do you put it down to a combination of those factors? The, the fact that, you know, Dave said, the older gamers are coming back to it. Yeah. And the fact that new gamers have found it through uh, D&D and the internet and social media. I think older gamers have stuck with it and have come back to it after a time in the deep freeze, which yeah, yeah. you know some people have talked about. But you know the, the the growth of new gamers coming to it is, I think, unparalleled in the hobby. I mean, I, I only see it from my little perspective, but. The good friends of Jackson Elias are Scott Dawood, Paul Fricker, and Matthew Sanderson, and together. They talk on their podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films and weird fiction, as well as other horror role-playing games. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or head over to BlasphemousTomes.com. What about you, Steve? So I think uh, I can only cover it from, from my perspective, really. So, I mean, I think, I think about my um, experience of role-playing, so I... You know, like a lot of us who are a little bit older, got into it in the 80s and sort of, you know, sort of enjoyed it to a certain extent. And then for all sorts of various reasons, we talked talked about the deep freeze, so stopped playing. But the things that drew me in then, 
and what I've rediscovered, so this is coming back to the hobby, is that in, in my sort of, when I was in the deep freeze, I was very much a war gamer, so that's quite adversarial, it's, you know, what, it's co- competition. The thing about role-playing, whether you're a GM or a player, actually the, the whole is greater than some of its parts. It's, it's something where if you see a group of people playing around a table, it's not that they're a piece of, okay, you may, you know, if you're using theory to the mind, you're not, you can't see anything happening. But for those people involved, it, there's magic happening in a lot of ways, in as much as magic happening, in as much as you can, you know, you can see there's people totally involved, they're loving what they do, they come back week after week, you know, day after day to actually to, to play that. On the thing about the, the Guardian article, I was in between people who were enjoying throwing medicine balls for fun, for hobby, and the swingers. So role playing was in between. So I think that says an awful lot. Uh, to probably about That's niche. It's <laughs> a niche area. But as to, you know, why, why it's endured, I think it's just because it's, it's fun. And I think, you know, it's something where, as you say, people enjoy it in a whole range of different ways, whether you're watching actual plays or participating or just even just buying the books or in reading them. Um, you know, I think it is something you can engage in, it, whatever suits you, really. And then I'd, I'd turn the question on you. It's why do you think role-playing games have endured? Well, well, I think I think you know all the things that you said are, are correct, and I think the social network element of it is important. And I think it's it's important to acknowledge, you know, that that games letter news article. It was embedded in the hobby right at the beginning. So when it was first being conceived, this idea that there would be networks of players, because that's what's unique about it, isn't it? It has to have other... It's like um, you know when they invented the fax machine. The fax machine only could exist if somebody else had a fax machine. And it's the same thing with... Uh, it's the same thing with, uh, with, with role-playing games. It only survives because people play it, and getting people play it is part of the momentum. And early on, when Gygax and Arneson were uh, creating them, they were, they were using science fiction fan community and they were uni- using war game fan community to build those networks and to build, build those associations. And if you look at some of the games, we're going to look at games that have fallen by the wayside mm-hmm. to some extent. The games that have survived are the ones that have had the enthusiasts, the ones that have had people who've kept the flame alive and the people who have success. It's like, take Glorantha, for example. You know, Glorantha has been through up and down, up and down. Doc Cowie here is part of the evangelists who kept it alive, an enthusiast who uh, saw it through those times when nobody cared about it, nobody played it, and uh, it brought, brought to the brought to forefront. It could have died on the vine as a, as a concept. Very much so. It couldn't it, 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 back then, but in the nineties, the, the the embers were kept blowing by the by the enthusiasts. So I think uh, I think as, as we've all said, it's the networks and the people playing together that keep it going. Mm. And I, I think I think the only other thing I'd say about those networks is now it's actually been made so much easier. I think most people have not only come out of the deep freeze, but have stayed out of the deep freeze. Because, and actually, when you look around this this place, there's people I've gamed with here who are opposite ends of the country, whether it be in Liverpool or in Edinburgh, Dundee. Plus, a couple of weeks ago, I had P2s in Sydney. Uh, you know, we've got people in America. We've had the Japan. infamous uh, 
the infamous John who fell asleep. It was so early. <laughs> that's, that's no comment on uh, on uh, Asaka, so Matthew's GMing style. But he did fall asleep and then would periodically wake himself up. And then there's another thing. You see, the comedy value, I think, is the other thing that brings you back to it. Yes, you can play any of my games. The comedy value is extremely important. So those networks, I think, again, it's it's actually becoming more and more and more easy to play. So all the barriers that used to be in place, which is I only know two or three people yeah. around. And Martin said, M Cookie one, two, three. And we've just recently got together with a load of people we weren't aware live within four miles of where we were. I know your ceaseless quest to find people in and around Bolton. Yeah. Uh, with us, it's like literally six miles either way, and we've got a, te- a team of five people to play. So fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Back, back in the 80s, a bus ride seemed a long way away. To play a game, uh, but you know, uh, obviously with the, with the internet, but, makes but I think better. COVID and the pandemic accelerated that whole thing, didn't yeah. it? So people really yeah. wanted to be yeah. connected, yeah. and the only way you could do it was virtually. And role playing gave us a structure. Those of us who may, you know, probably struggle with just chatting to people, it gave us a structure in how we interact. And I think that's that was for me. It was a real lifesaver, personally. So. Shall we um, get some of these games on the bench then? This is the meat of the repair shop, as it were. So over the years, some of these games have fallen into disrepair, either through neglect or something better came along in its place, or a particular style of game or a theme has fallen out of favour with gamers who can who can forget Merc, for example, where it's such a politically correct game, it had to come back in the 2000s. Uh, each of us is going to make a case for a game that deserves to have a, a, a bit of lick and a spit and polish and be brought to the table in 2023. So... Who would like to go first? I'll go. Come on then. <laughs> okay, Steve. right. First and foremost, so I would like to propose for the repair shop a game that um, gamers of a certain age will recognise probably as adverts in Dragon Magazine and things like that. So I would like to propose Sky Realms of Jeroen. This is the third edition, okay, which came out. Oh, went already. This this game came out. I mean, this is the third edition. It came out in 1993. Apparently, according to the Chessex website, it's still available. You can still buy it. So either they or they keep reprinting it, or they ordered a million and they sold like one copy a year since then. <laughs> anyway, so my pitch is: this is the, the, the sort of tagline for the game: "Leave your world behind." Okay, escape the bounds of the ordinary and enter your room, a complete and consistent world of adventure. Now, within that phrase. Complete is right. There is everything in this book that you will want to play. Okay, some might argue that it's overly complex in its world building. It's one of those games where uh, they, like Glorantha, they have taken joy in constructing things that probably didn't need to be constructed in the first place. There's a glossary in here which is linked to about four or five pages. Mm. So in this game, you are in the realm of Birdoth. Sort of based no, in the city. Stay with it, people. Stay with it, people. <laughs> it gets better. In the city of Ardoth, you are somebody, a Tortha, somebody who is adventuring to attain the glory of becoming a Dren. <laughs> Translated, yeah. what that means is you're adventuring to become a citizen. So in this game, it's not about um, gear, it's not about killing monsters, this is about doing stuff. So enhance your society and become a member of that organisation. Role-playing civic duties, everybody. Absolutely, okay. <laughs> all right, picking litter. There you go, that's what it's all about. But in this, and it's a science fiction game, so it's set in the far future. It's set in a, uh, a colony which was cut off from Earth 
after some terrible catastrophe. Inevitably, the humans uh, uh, were in conflict with the, uh, the natives of that world. There's an apocalyptic uh, breakdown. So this is society restructuring itself. You can play a, um, a Burdoth. No, sorry. You can play a, a, a Waffen, which is a... I know. A, it's a member a, of the German Air Force, I think. <laughs> you, can, you can play a Waffen, which is a gene or a gene-lifted wolf. You can play a Bronth, a gene-lifted bear. You can play a human who can manipulate the force of the, of the world of Jerun, known as Aisho, who is called the Mawadra. All right. So what you've got... This is making all the stuff. And so the argument is, is made for why this game died solid. out. No, no. <laughs> But also, it's got a really interesting system. Essentially, it's people say it's really, people will tell you it's really complicated. Okay, it's not. It's a roll into d twenty system. What it does do is it has depth. So the, the and I will close with the argument is with complex games like Lorantha is how do you start? Okay, mm. picking this game up and now I've taken this off my shelf as obviously all around Frex's game Vex is about running the games that I have. I will run this game. I will start. I will start small, and I will introduce the complexity and the beauty of the world that is Jerun, piece by piece. And those who play it will treasure their memory for the rest of their lives. So look at that. I give you scarrels of Jerun. And uh, and j- just for the record, what is the name of the uh, the games master in this particular? Uh, the games master is known as a Shalari. Shalari, yes, Shalari, Shalari, old Sandy. Look at the lollies. Yeah. The thing to say. The thing to say about the thing to say about Jerun is the artwork is fantastic. I mean, it's worth the price of getting it for the artwork. Because I think he went on to be a concept artist, didn't he, for uh, uh, Hollywood? And it's amazing artwork. Uh, yeah, please, it's very evocative. Yeah. Thanks uh, for pointing that out as I did. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's not called artwork in the game, is it? It's called McGumby or something. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre. Right, so Who, I'd like to go next. Well, has anybody played Jeroen? Can, can anybody no, help? No. no. no you there have. you go, it's an experience. <laughs> there you go. I, I played it once at a convention. <laughs> so you want to say once <laughs> kind of hard right did you walk out I didn't walk out <laughs> he was encouraged not to return and the GM is in the audience <laughs> it was a long time ago it was back in the 90s so you know we were different people then I wouldn't do that now um, but it wasn't great it well, seemed to focus mostly on Monty Python Paul, jokes there's always wow. a place at my table when I run Skyrims of Jerun there you go as, as, as the Shalari I will be the Shalari he will be a Tortha attaining the of course friendship I'd be Sandy and this is my friend Julian <laughs> anyway Shalari I don't, uh, well, let's let's leave it. There's going to be a vote later on. Yeah, there is going to be a vote later on. Are we going to carry on sort of sequentially, or? Well, yeah, we'll do we'll do that. It's uh, going to me next. So right. I have an advantage over everyone else because I actually watch the repair shop, <laughs> so I know how this works. Right. I'm not allowed to watch it at home because I just end up being an emotional wreck by the end of it. <laughs> and what you need is a human interest story, isn't it? So imagine. Me as a 13 year old back in 
Hang on. Uh, I always wanted a dog. I wanted a dog. <laughs> Stay with shameless. it. This is shameless. <laughs> this is how the repair shop works. What they do is bring in a much loved item, which is in bits that they've kept in an attic for years. I don't know why they fixed it for now. But then they bring it and then they put it together and everybody cries. That's how it works. Human interest. Okay. It's a bit like Steve Swinger's party. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bring in and then they cry. So I always wanted a dog. But my dad said that I could only have a dog if I fed it and used my pocket money to pay for it. Different times in the 80s, wasn't it? Uh, and to, just to show me, you know, the responsibility of doing it. And I desired, I desired space opera. Space opera from Fantasy Games Unlimited. Um, I used to travel to, uh, we used to have to walk under the Mancunian Way to... Uh, uh, on our own feet, yeah. Yeah. Um, with, with cardboard, in as opposed to someone else's feet. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, to uh, Odyssey Seven, which was uh, you might have seen it advertised in the back of uh, magazines back in the day, and uh, it was a science fiction store, and they sold very uh, obscure uh, role playing games, but they were really expensive because they were uh, imported. And every week, I would look at my pocket money. And I would open my hand and uh, I bought some pedigree chum on the way. And I looked and I never had enough money to buy it. Oh. So we're all confused. Did you, did you get the dog or yeah. space opera? Yeah. <laughs> I got the dog, but I right. couldn't, I couldn't you, get you space, opera. space opera. Yeah. What's a dog called in Sky <laughs> Realms of Jerusalem? <laughs> it's too so complicated. I can't even yeah. check that. <laughs> It'll all come together at the end, and you'll be—it'll be, be emotional. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, space opera for those. Who, uh, space opera sounds very good. I didn't know what the space opera was. I assumed it was like Chewbacca singing uh, <laughs> by, by then. Uh, so, in this game, the uh, games master is a star master, and it was produced in 1980 by the people who uh, produced Chivalry and Sorcery. So never knowingly uh, making things uh, simple. Um, so, and they spent three years agonising over this. And really it was a response to uh, Traveller. Uh, what they said was with Traveller you had to buy loads of supplements. Could never have the full collection. With Space Opera you have everything you need to create a uni universe in one box. Ooh. Point one. <laughs> Everything in it, that you need in what, what, what. It does say at the beginning that uh, space opera is not an easy game. Uh, and uh, at some point, it, you might need a calculator for this bit and it'd be good if it had trigonometry on it. <laughs> but if you're building a universe, come on, you need, the, you need these things. And it aims to replicate the science fiction of uh, E.E. Doc Smith, you know, that kind of Lensman series and uh, Star Wars. So within its, um, with all its guns and all its, um, it, its weapons, it's also got a very good rule. Well, I say very good. It has rules for uh, psionics as well. So it covers uh, psionics uh, in, in quite a lot of depth. I think, it, I think it's time for it to be uh, revived for the uh, 21st century um, because I think, you know, there's an essence of an idea in here somewhere. One of the rules that he's got is about fatigue and wind. So the player characters <laughs> have a wind score. 
So it's... Of course they do. <laughs> What's wind called in Jeroen? <laughs> so as a, 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 if you can imagine fatigue, because it plays a part, doesn't it, in, uh, as, a, as a human being, that you, you, get, you do get... I, I found yesterday on my journey here, I got a bit fatigued. But I rolled on my wind score and found that I could have lots to drink in the bar. <laughs> That's how wind works. So if you can imagine, it's like uh, you can have scenes with Han Solo running up a flight of stairs with his gun, and... <laughs> Hang on. Right, just a minute, and then pew pew, shoot the, uh, the storm bruggies. So I think it's a very authentic game. It recreates the world that it intends. And if that doesn't work, just think, I've got it now. I don't have the dog anymore. Oh. <laughs> Every time I look at this. <laughs> I, think, I think of Jamie. <laughs> Space opera. I, I thought for one horrible moment you were going to produce the dog from the middle. Well, he needs to be restuffed, yeah. Poor old Jamie, yeah. Uh, if we're going sequentially, I think it's my turn now. Is that okay? You, you happy to leave it. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I'm not going to talk on your heartstrings. <laughs> I'm not. However, what I am going to do is I'm going to appeal to your sense of nationality, everybody. <laughs> and, and at this point, what I'll do is I'll cut in uh, Jerusalem. <laughs> so we're, we're, we've got sort of... You're keeping you know, your shirt off. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not <laughs> going to get <laughs> naked on this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going streaking, everybody, follow me. No, I'm going to keep on my clothes on. But Jerusalem is now sounding in the background, so imagine that as it's going along. And, and did those feet in ancient times, well, 1985, uh, walk upon England's mountains green? It did. And what was produced on England's mountains green? Not one book, not a box set, six. Six books, everybody. Dragon Warriors. Dragon Warriors is the one. Oh, I think it's worth a round of applause. Right. It is well, yeah. <laughs> Dragon Warriors. A uniquely British take on, on, on the other dragon game. But what it did was it, it sort of, it sort of um, it imbued itself all the way through with, with essentially Britishness, with a, a sort of a, a nod to the folkloric uh, history of this, this wonderful <laughs> nation in which we find ourselves ruled over by an extraordinary band of evil thugs, <laughs> much like you can recreate through, through using Dragon Warriors. And, and not to push the sort of, you know, the, the, the Jerusalem sort of cliche too far, but as it says in there, you know, bring me my bow of burnished gold, 1d6 armour roll, five points of damage. <laughs> bring me my chariots of fire. It has chase rules. It has chase rules in it. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> And what else did it do? What else did it do? For, for the measly sum of pound and seventy-five pence, everybody, pound and seventy-five pence, you could buy one of six beautifully and lovingly crafted paperback books that brought everybody from... It's, it's like a game of evolution. Brought you from fighting fantasy, similar-sized book, I think you probably admit. Most people started with fighting fantasy. And brought you into the world of role-playing games. And that is what I would like this to be able to do, to inspire an entirely new generation of British gamers, everybody, of British gamers, <laughs> lovely people, uh, to come back to role-playing, to, to recapture that innocence, that essence. It has a wonderful uh, sort of monster, sort of pantheon. It has uh, an extraordinary land, you know, the land of legend, 
if, if those of you who've, who've ever played in Dragon Warriors uh, campaigns at all, it's such a rich and vibrant kind of place. There's a couple of niggly bits that we can sort out, and those are the bits that I'm bringing it to the repair shop for, which is, for example, not standardised damage. We need, we need sort of variable damage. We also, I have to say, we need critical hit tables, you know, and I think there might be a way of borrowing it from Middle Earth role playing games that would really add, in essence, in essence, to this. <clears throat> I don't think I came here to be heckled, thank you very much, from, from the Scottish contingent over there. But I think Dragon Warriors, why Dragon Warriors in particular? Uh, you're not called the, the Polari or whatever it is, the, the uh, Shalimar, whatever. You're called the Games Master. You, you aren't, uh, you aren't sort of, uh, beholden to having wind rolls, but you are beholden to to uh, slight bits of encumbrance occasionally. But you are, if you're a knight, you're trained to use plate mail armor. Why do you need to get fatigued? You're British for God's sake. You're a British knight. The the two things that it needs to be though, it does need to be slightly repackaged. And these, I'm thinking, I could possibly have some sort of leatherette covering Ooh, yeah. would be quite nice. Embossed, embossed on the front. Nice. Dragon Warriors book one. Uh, but I rather got shot in the foot because immediately walking through the door, the first store I went to, and I managed to buy myself Dragon Warriors in A4. So I'm, I'm wondering whether actually I'm, I, it's already been repair shopped. But I'm, I'm saying no because I want to bring it back as six separate little books. Yeah, I, th- I think you. I mean, that is the appeal of it, isn't it? And I don't think they should be uh, leather bound and embossed because the beauty of these is that they were affordable. I couldn't afford that. But I could mm. afford to collect. I mean, I'm arguing you against myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't afford you, you, you could have afforded a dog if you had <laughs> yeah, exactly. instead of space off. <laughs> so, Dragonmore is it, it, essentially at heart, it, it, it is a very, very British game. Yeah, and, and all sorts of uh, attempts at uh, tugging on your heartstrings. I think, if nothing else, I think it was probably the first time that you could really feel like this had resonance with us. Because it, I have a sort of an experience of these things. The monsters and the feel of the campaign was essentially British. And, you know, whilst, whilst I'm, I'm not a little Englander at all, in this instance, I probably would be. I'd be tugging at those heartstrings for you. So I would like to bring back Dragon Warriors, sort a few bits and pieces out with the repair shop, uh, you know, leather bound or otherwise. And, um, and therefore I rest my case. All right, this <laughs> Cowie Norland vexes gaming vexes or whatever it is. Thanks for the intro, Dave. I'm Steve, host of All Anth Rex's Gaming Vexes, a podcast documenting my ongoing mission to run or at least play all of the RPGs that I seem to be incapable of stopping myself buying. And you'll see me uh, frequently uh, fiddling with something in my hands. Each episode, I get together with a group of fellow gamers that have either played a game I've run or who've GM'd a game for me. We chat through what we've enjoyed about the game and some ways we could have improved the experience whilst making a series of terrible jokes along the way. Was it hot chat action? Sometimes we con game designers who really should know better to come along and talk to us about their games and maybe run an actual play segment to give us an idea of their vision for their game. I've told this story before before anyone. Our topics range from old school favourites like RuneQuest through to some of those newfangled narrative games all the cool kids talk about. When you listen, I want you to feel as though you're sitting around our gaming table, taking part in our post-game chat and helping dispose of the last of the crisps and ale. I'll just wax my bowstring and think about the death of the tainted. Oh no, eight, nine, eight. So, 
If you like listening to people droning on excitedly about games in a range of regional British accents, All Anthrex's Game of X's is the pod for you, and you'll find it on your podcasting app of choice. On occasion, you may even hear something really insightful, but I'm making no promises. Over to you, Dave. Fight to Ponxes and make it a Titan. <laughs> Keep it tight. Sorry, before we move on, I just wanted to make a comment. So in Jerome, there are no rules for chase. If you know, you know. Okay. And also, there are no rules for grappling, which I think is a point in its favour. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Over I mean, to you. Thank you for pointing out those deficiencies. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a bonus. we've got a fantasy game, a science fiction game, another fantasy game. I've gone back to the 80s for a horror role-playing game. But what is it? <laughs> it's a horror role-playing game called It Came From The Late 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 Show. <laughs> now, so the first edition, I think, came out in 1989. This is a, a second edition from uh, the mid-90s. It's interesting to think this came out like a year or two before White Wolf. Totally different in tone, this is. So this is a game, a, a role-playing game that lets you recreate all those terrible old like movies, those universal monster features, Frankenstein and, and uh, all those, those, those movies that we loved at the time. And, and still do love. That's the important thing. Still do love. And it really has, the way it's written, it's very tongue-in-cheek and self-deprecating, which I was thinking was very much in contrast to you know, White Wolf and so on, where you get to play vampires and werewolves. The GM in this, as it's as their own name, it's a but but it's a, a logical name. They're the director, and you as a, a player character are an actor. The NPCs extras. Is it all just like makes very bold sense? <laughs> yeah. A scenario. That's a movie. A campaign. That's a series of movies, like a franchise. Um, you have uh, five stats, and it uses proper dice, D10s. So, <laughs> obviously, you know, the best dice. <laughs> now, many games don't have enough skills. Uh, there are a number of people who say Call of Duty doesn't have enough skills. Very <laughs> true. In fact, a good friend of mine, who I won't name, had a Twitter poll asking that very question. <laughs> and uh, it came out that, you know, I think... Call of Cthulhu didn't, didn't have too many skills at just the right amount. I'm sure. But this, this game, this game, this game goes to town on the skill. It calls them talents. So you can have everything from fishing to fishing. It's got fishing skill and it's got nuclear physics as a skill. It's got cheerleading. And it, not just dancing around and forming human pyramids. You can use it in combat to like cheer on you know, the side you want to win as a mechanical effect. With your pom-poms. And, Dave, this uh, this is my sale to you, Dave. It's got not just the agriculture, (gasps) it's got animal husbandry. (laughs) (laughs) So... No, I'm not sure whether I should be... Sorry, I know your mind went down... I started to read something into that. But I'm thinking the Agri-Hazard. I'll just direct you back onto the right part. Agri-Hazard, A a, a board game very close to our hearts. Agri-Hazard. See, it it covers everything. And and weapons, everything from clubs, guns, ballistic missiles. The skill for (laughs) ballistic missiles, specific to that. I don't know how often you use that. But then once you've had your combat... Well, I mean, I'm going to go into combat a little bit because there are some very interesting 
concepts for the combat. Once you've had your concept, your, your combat, you, you refresh makeup. The makeup team come and <laughs> out and fix you up, and that's how you recover your hit points. <laughs> if at any time, I guess combat isn't going well, and you've, there's one of the stats is called fame, and that's that's something that you you know you build up through one one story to the next, like you know experience points if you like. But you can spend fame to do things in the game, and one of the things you can do is walk off set. <laughs> and you make your role, you know, mid combat. You say, "I've had enough of this. I'm going." And, but if you fail the role, you know, the director is going to yell at you. You'll never work in this town again. <laughs> or you walk off, and then the, the monsters and the other actors have to come over to you and like persuade you and make concessions <laughs> to you, and, like get you back on set. That sounds really annoying. I have a horrible feeling we're losing this argument. <laughs> and. Yeah, well, there's just so many hands, and you can have a stunt double. So you know, you get impounded. That's that's not me. That's the stunt double. So they only have us, you know, so many hit points. And once the stunt double's done, that they kind of, I guess, you know, they get paid. That makes it fine, doesn't it? Uh, and and depending on your fame, you get props. And you know, at low fame, you get things like a shovel, candles, umbrella. I was going to say kind of OSR, but maybe not the umbrella. But at high fame, you get a Learjet. A dirigible, silver bullets, and 1980s, a portable CD player. <laughs> Learjet, portable CD player. Um, on the same level. And I'm just going to read you, the, the, there's a bunch of monsters, some of which are quite fantastic. I'm just going to... One of, the, it, one of the, the classic monsters is the Invisible Man. Usually, a mad scientist who perfected a formula that makes a person invisible and tried it on himself without bothering to perfect a formula that would make him visible again. He doesn't like to be ignored, so he goes around killing less transparent people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's it, and you get a couple of campaigns, uh, uh, scenarios, uh, movies, movies. The invasion of the undead scuba diving zombies at Bikini Beach. <laughs> and Iron Fist. Of Shaolin versus the Dragon Ninjas. So there's a couple of great uh, scenarios to get you started off with. That's all very well, but can PCs get wind? <laughs> <laughs> no trigonometry. <laughs> <laughs> and that, so I commend uh, the Late 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 Show to the uh, repair shop. Okay, so, so we're, we're coming to the interactive bit. This is the bit you've all been waiting for. We're going to be voting on which, uh, which of these you want to go through to be, uh, to be properly repaired and then foisted onto, onto the world uh, again. No the foisting game. required here. This, no, is, no. This, this sells itself. But foisting is a skill in the late, late, late show. <laughs> so I have to have it in there. So um, what would you, clearly, if, if there's any last-minute sort of um, prompts that you'd like to say, one last round-up. Uh, Set out on your hearty thumbo or fly by Talmeron. Sail the skies aboard a Jaspian crystal schooner. Seek out the Sky Realms, for they, say cults, for they hold some of the world's greatest challenges. Ramian sometimes inhabit these floating realms, so stay sharp and carry an exploder thrower. If that's not your style, bring along a Coruscant bodyguard and let him handle it instead. There you go. <laughs> What the hell was that? <laughs> I'm not going to read anything. I'm going to give you a mathematical formula. <laughs>
the square root of 72 times 72 in brackets plus open brackets 121 times 121 equals the square root of 5,184 plus 14,641 equals the square root of 19,825 and that equals 140.8 ly light years. You can travel in space with this game, <laughs> legitimately. Is it not time for the 21st century? I mean, are we going to get nostalgic about the space age? We can have it here in these two books and a box. And also think about the dog. <laughs> Shameless. I am going to read you. I'm going to read you from a, a random table. And who doesn't like a random table, everybody? Oh, yeah. A random table. This is open country uh, chance of encounters, 50%. You could, you could meet, and this is just the humans, adventurers, peasants, minstrels, lepers, <laughs> junks, monks or pilgrims, outlaws, or a lord and lady with a retinue of two to twelve knights or merchants. But be careful, you may come across a basilisk, everybody. Ooh. Open country. What more do you want from a game? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this, of all the games here, this game, the late, 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 it came from the late, late, late show. Those films are still with us. People are still making movies you know, that, that you could use this game to emulate. <laughs> or you, know, you could run Master and Architect. <laughs> the, like the film version of Master and Architect using this. Need I say more? There you go. So, okay. You've heard the last minute pleading of, of desperate men. Uh, <laughs> so what we'll, go, we'll go to a vote now and I'll, I'll simply introduce the game and then we'll, we'll be do it by the sound or the, the volume or the of clapping. Thereof. The amount of feedback that they managed to create. Yes, yes. <laughs> if one of our heads explodes, then you'll know why. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I commend to you uh, Sky Realms of Jeroen. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I commend to you Space Opera. <laughs> think of the dog. Yeah, think, of the, think of the dog you just consigned to being a... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I commend to you Dragon Warriors. <laughs> no slow hand claps, thank you very much, dear. Or, ladies and gentlemen, I can it's Stay late. It, it came, came from, from the late, 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 late show. A worthy winner. So that's a win for Dragon Warriors, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that bit. No, it came from the late, late, late show. A fantastic, a fantastic pitch. And, and what sounds like an absolutely brilliant game. <laughs> and quite frankly, uh, uh, I'm amazed Mask, Masks of Neil Atherton hasn't been framed as know. it came from the Late 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 Show. I just did enjoy that. The Black Pharaoh walking off set. I can't cope with I this can't. anymore. <laughs> Fantastic. I can't work with these people. Good. So uh, thank you very much indeed, everybody, for coming. There's one other thing that we were going to do, which was just very quickly to sort of give a, a sort of a quick praise and, and a plug for each of the podcasts. So uh, what's sort of coming up in the near future, Steve? Coming, coming soon. Coming, coming soon. soon, okay. So we've just recently finished playing a uh, series of Vampire 5th Edition, so uh, Fall of London. So we've got a bit of reflection on that one. We've also got interviews with Emmett Byrne, I think he was the developer for Soulbound, and we do a reflection on our Soulbound game, because we only talk about games we've played and reflect back on it. So uh, <coughs> and that's as far forward as we've gone. But uh, yeah, listen to some of the back catalogue. We've got some good stuff there with... 
uh, Grant Howitt, who uh, obviously one of the, the writers of Spire, and also Just Crunch Games, so Paul Waldowski and the Cthulhu Pack. But yeah, good stuff. So, yeah, have a listen. You'll be one of three people who do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Dirk, what have you got? Uh, the next podcast is going to be about this very event, hopefully, by, the, by which time we will have perfected the story of the bus journey down here. And because uh, we've managed to bore so many people about it, uh, we'll be I'm able to it yeah, we'll get it, we'll get it polished for the uh, for the show. And um, next month we have uh, a couple of episodes all about liminal. Sorry about that, Dave. <laughs> walking on your toes, but uh, that. And then later in the year, we're having a good look at Star Wars and the West End Star Wars game. Oh, the D6 one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, good friends of Jackson Elias, what do you got to? Well, as I said, the good friends of Jackson Elias reaches the age of 10 this coming week, and uh, we thought a, a good theme would be time travel. Um, seemed as good as any. So we're doing an episode about time travel in films and games and stories. Uh, so that'll be our 10th uh, anniversary episode and we've also got the blasphemous tome issue 11 coming out soon and yeah so uh, 10 more years <laughs> and then just f- for us the intention has always been with this particular uh, series of podcasts actually to produce something we're writing a campaign for liminal with the kind permission of dr mitch who uh, after every episode i do have a Skype, a Zoom call with him, and I always have to put myself in the very difficult position of apologising to him for ruining his game <laughs> on a regular basis. But he's absolutely thrilled with it, which is great. So the next episode, I think we're at Newcastle, Doncaster, and Weatherby, which I've yet to um, the glamour of these places. <laughs> so not not Cairo it's or Sydney. It. It's Doncaster. So uh, I've got that episode to to finish editing, and then we move on to Newcastle, and then. Um, Peebles and uh, and Edinburgh for the for the end. So fingers crossed, and maybe this time next yearish we might even be kickstarting it. So, so not so much a world spanning campaign as a no, it's the A one road. Yeah, <laughs> okay. niche. Let's say. Anyway, listen. Thank you ever, ever so much, everybody, for coming. If you'd just like to show your appreciation to our, our competitors.